there's a breadth of experience that you that you get um, from reading these essays, and you know they they address so many of the problems that we have in um, we continue to have in contemporary culture of the expectations of mothers to be all loving, all kind and good and comforting and protecting and solving all of the problems, uh, which, you know, of course, even as a mother, I aspire to these things, who doesn't, but that that misses a whole lot of what it means to be a person and what it means to also be a mother. From Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor, I'm Howard Alterescu and this is my podcast, where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. Before I introduce our guest today, I want to mention that I just finished reading A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. Absolutely magnificent. I'll talk more about A Gentleman in Moscow on a future episode of the podcast. I also recently had the pleasure of listening to and briefly talking with author Elizabeth Strout at her appearance at The Strand to discuss her new book, Olive Again. Strout talked about her writing process and was fascinating. My friend Joe Palazzato discussed Strout's Olive Kittredge on my episode number 10 last year. I'm hoping to get Joe back later this year to discuss Strout's new book. Now for today's guest and the inaugural episode of our season number three. I was enjoying lunch one day last summer at Marty's Mercantile in West Chocan in the Catskills when a bike rider stopped in to get a coffee and a donut. The bike rider was our guest today, Tracy Sidesinger. Tracy was in the middle of an impressive long-distance bike ride, but was happy to take a break and discuss books with me. In addition to long-distance bike riding, Tracy is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalytic psychotherapist in New York City. We didn't record our podcast last summer at Marty's, but I'm glad we get to do it now. Tracy considered a number of books for us to discuss. Tracy mentioned Mothers, an essay on love and cruelty by Jacqueline Rose, and also Feminine Law, Freud, Free Speech, and the Voice of Desire by Jill Gentile, with Michael McCrone. But the book that Tracy thought seemed most relevant, most of current interest to her, and importantly, most accessible among them all, is What My Mother and I Don't Talk About, 15 Writers Break the Silence, by Michelle Philgate. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You told me that all three books are along a similar theme, that is, addressing expectations of the feminine and opening up more authentic and useful discourse. I read several reviews of the book and of the 15 essays. I read the first essay, absolutely fascinating, lots of different themes. What is it that you found most compelling? The process of the book was Philgate asked these essayists just to write about what they and their mothers don't talk about. 
So there's no fancy theory here, although the writers I found to be very intelligent and informed by theory, um, and a lot of them informed probably by uh, experiences in therapy themselves, but it's just writing about their experiences and writing very honestly. And so there's a breadth of experience that you, that you get um, from reading these essays. And you know they, they address so many of the problems that we have in, um, we continue to have in contemporary culture of the expectations of mothers to be um, all loving, all kind and good and comforting and protecting and solving all of the problems, uh, which, you know, of course, even as a mother, I aspire to these things, who doesn't? But that, that misses a whole lot of what it means to be a person and what it means to also be a mother. Um, so, so some of what these essays address, I think, is... Um, you know, in addressing what goes unspoken, it's what lies behind that expectation of perfection and comfort. And so it ranges from sometimes talking about the mistreatment that these writers have experienced from their mothers, the um, really harmful lack of protection sometimes, but also the choosing one life, choosing one partner, and becoming one kind of a mother over another partner. And these are the sort of choices that we all have to make in life. And so the, the natural limitations that happen, not only mistakes, but the realities of life. And There's a lot of discussion about the very high expectations uh, of, that, we, that we have for mothers. Uh, and there's also discussion about how several of the authors referred to wanting to know more about their mothers from before the author was born. Yes. Wanting to have a better understanding of their mothers, mm -hmm. which I found fascinating. Yeah. I'm curious what you found fascinating about that. Well, so uh, we know our mothers for... Well, you sound like a psychiatrist. <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> we, we know our mothers from, uh, from birth. Uh, and actually, there's a, a particularly great quote about, um, Phil Gate wrote, our mothers are, are our first homes, and that's why we're always trying to return to them. Yes. Uh, and then just one other quote from the Columbia Journal, the mother's body is also the site of the first tragedy, the instant when we are torn from the nurturing safety of the womb and sent into the loneliness that we will never escape. It is no wonder that the image of the mother resonates throughout history with both pleasure and pain, with love and longing. You're, you're so close to your mother, literally, mm -hmm. and you know her, uh, if you're fortunate, as a protector, as a provider of warmth and safety and, and, and nourishment, uh, but you don't know her before. She's, her life before you was in some case decades, some case many decades, mm -hmm. there's a whole being there that you don't know uh, necessarily. Mm -hmm. So that's what I found fascinating. Yes, absolutely. And that line that you quoted from Phil Gate um, was, I mean, it's the, the second line of the book. And it 
also resonates with something that Jacqueline Rose said in Mothers, uh, that we are all born into the slipstream of our mother's unconscious. That what has happened in the lived lives and the unconscious lives of our mothers is what we are born into and yes. the lives that kind of get carried forward whether we like it or not, we don't get to choose it. Um, and that that feels to me like one of the reasons why, if we're paying attention, we're fascinated by wanting to know. Um, and, and what really struck me, I think, in some of these essays was the repetition. I mean, we talk in psychoanalysis about the repetition compulsion. And, you know, we often think about that as things that have happened in our personal lives, you know, whether it be in our childhood or at other traumatic times or non-traumatic, but um, repeating what we already know but haven't yet figured out or haven't satisfied. But I, I think this takes it another step and, and we go into the realm of whether it's whatever is intergenerational, that we're also repeating something from our own mothers, and sometimes their mothers. And I actually saw this in the case of um, Minetta Lane, uh, was yes. one of the essays where the author talks about her, her mother had become a housewife and um, was very soft-spoken seeming, but occasionally she would dance a bit and she would talk about a previous relationship, which the author never knew if this was a boyfriend or not, um, but she knew this was an African-American artist and they were a Caucasian family, and this author describes her own experience of going on to partner with an African-American man and the kind of repetition that's felt but never fully spoken between her and her mother about what is it like to be with a, a, in an interracial partnership um, and what are the concerns about the children I mean that's just one repetition but her curiosity about what relationships did you have before me and what life didn't get lived that I'm living out yeah I, I like the way that you refer to it the slipstream you know, your mother was on the run and then you interrupted and it doesn't cancel her out and, and you, you pick up the ball yes. to some extent yeah. You know, so that, that author was uh, Dylan Landis, uh, and Dylan talks about, uh, he, he, one of the reviews says, uh, he or she imagines a past his mother reveals only in snippets or not at all, and she tries to create or recreate the mm -hmm. free-spirited woman he longed to know. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was, there's a longing to know who your mother was, who your mother is, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a theme um, of being like your mother or being afraid to be like your mother. Uh, mm. A number of the essayists uh, were afraid to have, ch were, were concerned about having children because they had been mistreated or were afraid to be otherwise too much like their mother. Mm -hmm. uh, so they... they had some appreciation of who their mother was, but only during their own life, and were afraid to repeat mistakes or mistreatment. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, the one that I am thinking of is called Mother Tongue. And this um, baffled me for a while because Mother Tongue is a phrase that I think about a lot. Uh, and the, you know, we're all, in addition to being born into the slipstream of our mothers and, and we're born into the language of our mothers, both verbal and otherwise, and that the, the Mother Tongue linguistically is the first language you learn. Um, but psychologically, it's the, the body sensations, the emotional recognition. Um, it's, it's all those ways that we enter into, into understanding ourselves and our relationships. But this essay was um, the author talking about their realizing they didn't want to have children. Um, and so I was very confused for a while. And, and the more I read over it a couple of times, and the author says that they ended up feeling estranged from their mother and that estrangement is a kind of strange word because there's a coldness to it and it, yes. and it not even bothering them that they could feel that lack of feeling. And it was that that they had learned from their mother that um, situated them in such a way that they didn't feel they could become a mother the way they wanted to be. So the, the, there's a, um, it's a confusing situation, but just, just the way you said it. They felt as if they couldn't become the mother they wanted to be. They wanted to be a mother, mm-hmm. but, were, but um, was reluctant because of the way they had been treated, because mm-hmm. of who they saw that their mother was. Yeah, what they, they had learned something yes. in their mother tongue, and that was to in be tongue, yeah. cold and distant. But they recognized it. At least, yeah, they recognized it. I mean, I think there's, that's what there is about the slipstream. That, I, I mean, I, I have a more of an understanding about this idea of being born into the slipstream of the mother's unconscious by being a cyclist. Because, you know, if you're talking about drafting... Slipstream, yeah. Yeah, you are literally in the slipstream of those in front of you. Um, and you, you're carried on with less of your own effort. I don't have the, you know, the language of physics to describe this so well, but it's a phenomenon I've yep. experienced. Yep. And then to, that is, you know, you're being carried on more than you can control because of what's happening before you. But you have the ability to get out of that slipstream too. Does everyone have the ability to get out? I sure think so. <laughs> um, so I, I love what you said at the outset about the process. So here, uh, Phil Gate talked to, um, or, or got 15 different essayists to write essays. Uh, I don't know if they were instructions, but. Some are similar, but some are very different from each other. Some are mm-hmm. very sad. Some have a touch of humor, um, but they're personal essays. So, uh, and and in so far as a process, one of the reviews, the LA Review of Books, distinguished uh, between writing fiction uh, and writing personal essays, uh, and the um, emotions and the vulnerability, and particularly in these uh, essays mm-hmm. that are shown in essays. Is really compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, it it uh, opens you up to examination by others, and and some, and I think Phil Gate herself uh, was very reluctant to reveal 
in cases of sexual abuse or other problems, mm -hmm. right? understandably reluctant. Uh, yes. So it's, it's courageous to reveal what they've revealed. That's absolutely true. Um, I mean, I'm personally so glad to see this kind of writing happening more, that um, being honest about personal experience from a personal voice when the stakes are high, that, that it does take a kind of courage and it takes a lot of sensitivity too because I didn't find that these authors were um, disrespectful of the people that they're talking right. about or of how it would affect them. In, I can't remember the author, but in one case um, she made it explicit that she shared this with her mother before it was published and gave her a chance. It's very small, maybe a paragraph of what the response was, but I would imagine a lot of that happened here, actually, that these are opportunities to open the dialogue. Um, that's by no means always possible, but that I think that's the intention of talking about what we don't talk about so that we can talk about it. And, with respect to what, you know, how the people in these stories will also be affected and could respond. In some cases, there was real anger to, to, by the essayist to, toward his or her mother. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you're right. I, I gather that there was a, um, that's some, maybe it's not an understanding, but still the attachment of a mother. Um, mm -hmm. uh, despite perhaps an estrangement that separated them, but still a, still a yearning. Uh, one of the um, essays talks about a father, and this is referred to as a humorous essay, who constantly interrupted uh, the mother mm -hmm. in discussions. Um, and in the um, review, there's a discussion about how Fathers are not held up to the same standard as mothers. Mm -hmm. uh, fathers don't get this criticism, aren't held up to the same expectation, don't suffer from the same criticism, uh, get a pass. Mm -hmm. Did that resonate with you? I think because I was uh, at the same time reading Rose's book um, about, about mothers, which is so much about the, the social expectations and addressing that problem that I didn't experience it as much in this book. Um, to, to what you earlier said, um, that there is a lot of anger in some of these essays and expectations still of something from a mother. I think it really made me think about the difference between our misconceptions of what mothers should be and the fact that people do fail us and yes. um, mourning is a real thing it's a real thing and what we need to do to grow psychologically and emotionally to be able to express what has been painful traumatizing and unsatisfactory and to know that some people some mothers 
in this case, won't be able to recognize the wrong that they've done. Or, or, or their shortcomings otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that is life. Yes. And, and recognizing and appreciating that uh, is, is critical. So just, just one further word on fathers. I, I found the piece, uh, it was the essay written by Kathy Hanauer. Um, and uh, one of the reviews uh, says, the book exposes how fathers get let off, let off easy. It's not that the authors aren't angry at their fathers, many of them are, but our culture does not hold fathers up to the same impossible standards to which we hold our mothers. Mm -hmm. And that's really the point. That there is a difference, of course, but the standards to which we hold our mothers probably are impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, do we put them on a pedestal? That, that, I don't think that's the right description, but very high expectations. Mm -hmm. What was it about Kathy's essay? So, so this was the one where, uh, it's called My Mother's Gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. She regales the reader with the story of her loving but controlling father who continually silences her mother by speaking for her and preventing direct conversation between mother and daughter. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kathy is, uh, has feelings about her mother and her father, but uh, she's not as critical of, of her father. Mm -hmm. Um, she's frustrated with her mother for letting him get away with the behavior. Right. Which is interesting. Right. Why not be frustrated at him yeah, right. for getting in the way? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I think, I mean, two things. In psychoanalysis, we often think about the, there's different times for visiting different relationships. And you know, this is a book about mothers and visiting those relationships yep. and conversations. And it would be very interesting if all of the authors also did essays about their relationship to their fathers, because very different things would probably be said. Um, and there is a time for that, too. But I, I think the other thing I want to say about that is that it's not just the idealization and excessive criticism that gets put on mothers, but what is possible in opening up a space to talk with mothers, that this is what um, Jill Gentile's book, uh, Feminine Law, would get at. The feminine is, is an open space, um, not that lacks knowing, but that is, is open to creative discourse and questioning and discovering and that's something you know feminine in the sense that we can all access it it's not exclusive to women or to mothers but that is highly symbolized in mothers and so if we're we're having a, here's a book about what what my mother and I don't talk about but it's there's words on the page yep. we're talking and that is precisely speaking into that space to create new narratives and new ways of knowing that can happen uniquely in the maternal space. There is a, well, why do you think it's unique in a maternal space? Well, that's why I also say it's feminine, it's a quality, it's not yeah, only yeah. accessible to mothers. I mean, here we are talking yeah, to yeah. a man and yeah. a woman. Um, but if we think symbolically about the feminine or the masculine, the, the, I mean, the 
the maternal body mm -hmm. of the creative womb, uh, the receiving vagina. These are symbols of openness and generativity that the things have not yet become, but they are in the process of becoming. And that's discourse. Yeah. So on that point, one of the reviews say, says, some of these essays are harrowing, some heartwarming, some, like a lot of mother-child relationships, a mix of both. Mm -hmm. All of them suggest, though, that if you can talk to your mother, you should. Yes. <laughs> uh, I know that years ago, working on a trading floor, uh, sometimes somebody would yell out, so-and-so, it's your mother on the phone. <laughs> and the other fellow would say, tell her I'll call her back. And I'd yell out, take the call. <laughs> Whenever your mother or your father calls, take the call. Um, so I, I've got one last thing to read, but any, anything else that you'd like to add? This is absolutely fascinating. I think I would say this is, it's not, I don't experience this book and my interest in this content is not an indictment on mothers. You know, it comes from being both a daughter and a mother myself. And having my own pained relationship with my mother, um, as most women I know do, it's still not an indictment. And it's a wish to know more. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the things that comes through. So from the, N, uh, the review of um, uh, NDR, at its broadest level, this book is about the soul-rattling realization that despite often having the astronomically best of intentions, our mothers still mess up, mm -hmm. sometimes in life-altering ways. It's about how despite our love or desperate need for them, we mess things up too. Mm -hmm. And it's also about the gut punch that happens when some children are forced to legitimately wonder just how good their mother's intentions ever were. I'm sure some are very good and they do well and some not so well. And unfortunately, I, I expect there are some mothers whose intentions may not have been good. I think that's true. Which would be unfortunate. Thank you very much. Thank you. This, this was... Uh, a lot to think about. Yes, and I really appreciate your reflections on it too. And thank you. Thank you everybody for listening and please tell me what you're reading by leaving a comment on the podcast or via email at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. More information about our guests today can be found on our website www.bookwormsinthewild.com. Our website also includes links to the books and other resources we refer to in our discussion, including links to all of the reviews of the book. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design for the podcast, our website, and my bookmark. Let me know if you'd like a bookmark sent to you. Melanie, as always, is in control of most everything and has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And, of course, Carol is my muse. 
Six-and-a-half-month-old Jake had been balancing his time reading, or getting read to, with time in the gym on the parallel bars and learning to tumble. <laughs> the entire wolf pack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests, and I also thank the great anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. If you like their podcast, please subscribe, and in, and in any event, let me have your comments either directly on the podcast or at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next time.